millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. is the U.S. national team making, we discuss, news about being sports being added to a streaming service, the stark differences between CBS's and Fox's World Cup qualifying coverage, our thoughts about uh, FIFA's plans for a World Cup every two years, and your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, you and I have survived, uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners have. We, we have been able to watch the uh, USA against Honduras game that was on Wednesday night. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, the game kicked off uh, local time in San Pedro Sula in Honduras at 8.30 Eastern time. Actually, 8.30 local time there, which was 10.30 Eastern time and the game didn't end till 12.30. I think CBS's coverage went on to I think after 1 o'clock at least. Uh, it was a long night but um, and it's been a long week actually because we've had a lot of things happening. We've had the whole scandal with uh, Weston McKinney and we had that was uh, the news broke from not from a uh, English language US soccer media outlet but it was a Spanish language uh, outlet in the US to do NA so they got the scoop and then ESPN kind of reported uh, thereafter it, it's been a wild week what's your what's your thoughts overall in terms of um, over the course of, of this World Cup qualifying period with the three games El Salvador Canada and Honduras how good is this US team what, what's what's the what's the level at right now five points is is uh, about what I expected coming out of these three matches uh, it, it may have been the absolute reverse of what I thought. Uh, so I, I assumed what we would see is a draw, scrappy draw in El Salvador. That is what we saw. Uh, a win against Canada, a resounding 2-0 or 3-1 win against Canada in Nashville. We certainly did not see that. And then um, maybe a 1-1 draw down in, in San Pedro Sula. And uh, that match, uh, the result was great for the U.S. The, uh, the performance uh, was uh, First half was about as bad as the U.S. has looked in World Cup qualifying since 
probably qualifying for um, at points for the 2002 World Cup. Now, it's funny I say that because obviously the U.S. had its most successful World Cup in modern history in 2002, but qualifying was a slog, and there were some time, moments in qualifying for that cycle that we looked really poor, uh, whereas you know, qualifying for 6, 10, and 14 were straightforward. Qualifying for 18, we didn't make it, but I think there was more bad luck involved in it than uh, really looking dire at times, and we looked dire in that first half. Uh, second half was uh, w- was fantastic. I uh, Sebastian Legette is a player that I have had many arguments with with folks uh, who uh, are U.S. fans for the last several years. I have made the contention publicly that if he, had he not gotten injured in 2017, the U.S. would have qualified for the World Cup. I think he's that important. And um, he didn't have a great game against Canada, but he came on at halftime yesterday and changed the game. And that's that's what I think he would have given the U.S. team that element in 2017 when he got injured after a great game against Honduras, right, in a 6-0 win in San Jose where he was the star. Um, and he was out for the rest of qualifying, which effectively took that option, that creative option, and that guy who can ghost late runs into the box uh, out of the U.S. team for the rest of 2017 and as we know the u.s didn't qualify so i thought he was fantastic yesterday and then the other star of this uh this three match set for the u.s was anthony robinson uh, who had an outstanding season last season under scott parker at fulham but that never translated to the national team right every time he'd get called into the national team he'd struggle uh burhalter even cut him from the gold cup squad two years ago because he had done so poorly in the pre-gold cup friendly and uh now uh, when asked to to step up with Sergio Des first ineffective, then injured, um, and uh, George Bello had a, a very poor kind of de- debut match for himself yesterday. Uh, sadly for him, he's going to be a very good player, but bad debut match. Uh, Robinson stepped in and, and did the job. So those are my my two stars. My takeaway is the U.S. has greater depth than a lot of the U.S. fans think they do. Guys like Robinson and Leggett, I would also throw one or two other pieces into that uh, equation. And I would also say that the U.S. top-line stars that we keep hearing about because they play at big European clubs, they don't necessarily acclimate to CONCACAF qualifying as easily as you w- as the U.S. fan would think they would. So I think it, it's, it's a bit of both. The U.S. is about where I expected them to be. Uh, but maybe not where a lot of the fans expected them to be because they overrate certain players uh, based on where they play uh, club football and then underrate others or, or ignore others because of where they play club football. Each of these three matches were quite different. The El Salvador game, that one, U.S. started strong in the first 10 to 15 minutes. But for the majority of those 90 minutes, El Salvador had more chances uh, to win that game. I think the U.S. had two shots on goal. Then you move to the Canada match. In the Canada match, um, the U.S. definitely had the majority of the possession. They seemed more comfortable passing the ball around. But Canada set themselves up really, really well defensively, kind of a, a, a two back lines uh, of basically like like almost nine, nine players uh, holding it back there. And then Canada was able to break on the counter. And over the course of that 90 minutes, even though Canada played more defensively kind of uh, to prevent the U.S., from penetrating, uh, especially through the middle. It was Canada that created more chances to win that game. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, it was a draw. So the U.S. In, in those two games didn't look that good in terms of creating chances. Then we go into the Honduras game. In the first half, uh, the U.S. had zero shots on goal, on, on target. Uh, the second half, 
Emian changed everything. And I think part of this, though, Kartik, is there's definitely some inadequacies in Greg Berhalter's um, coaching uh, in terms of uh, kind of uh, his decision making in terms of which players to select. Uh, formations, especially in that Honduras match in the first half. He's making mistakes. And it could have been easily. It could have been in that Honduras match. It could have been at halftime. It could have been Honduras 3, U.S. 0. And that game could have been out of reach. Uh, Luckily for the U.S., um, Honduras wasn't able to kind of uh, take advantage of some of of the chances they did have in front of the goal. Yeah, the three-five-two left the midfield very open, and so the Honduras goal came directly off of a midfield giveaway where John Brooks has to step into midfield to try and stop uh, the quick counterattack. It's not able to do that, and the U.S. then their shape is is, is ragged, and uh, you get the goal. Uh, Matt Turner had to make a number of good saves, actually, we should point out, in that match. Uh, both in the first half and then early stages of the second half when the, when the match was 1-1. Uh, yeah, so I think that going to the 3-5-2, and this is a really strange thing that keeps happening with the U.S. Jurgen Klinsmann tried to go to the 3-5-2 in a match against Mexico. It backfired and had to change that around in the middle of the first half. Didn't even get to halftime. Uh, and Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones were screaming at the bench, hey, this isn't working. Verhalter tries it for this match, strangely enough, when the U.S. doesn't really have the attacking impetus up top to play in that formation, and then you're leaving a kind of an open midfield, which obviously you don't have McKinney, so that's that's a factor probably in that decision, but you're playing with Acosta and Adams, and uh, the ball retention wasn't there at all to play in that formation. Uh, so I, I know Chelsea has made the formation fashionable again, going three at the back, um, and, as had uh, uh, Antonio Conte's teams. But you have to have some degree of ball control. You have to have a Jorginho in that midfield who can uh, distribute the ball and then a, uh, a Conte type to break a play if you're going to play in that system. And the U.S. doesn't have that. There were a lot of inadequacies in the player pool. Now, a lot of the fans don't want to hear that, and they want to blame Burhalter for everything or whoever the manager is. That seems to be a fashionable thing. But I think he was trying to figure things out yesterday. It backfired. But credit to him for making the switch. And I have to say, Chris, this is it's not possible to do this without the five substitutions. So the U.S.'s ability to completely change the formation and to um, effectively go back to a – what looked like a 4-2-3-1 uh, or, 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 or something of the sorts in the second half, um, or could have even been a 4-2-4, uh, depending how you look at it, uh, is only possible when you have five substitutions. If you're, if you're limited to the three substitutions, as you traditionally had been in the last however many qualifying cycles, you get it wrong from the start, you're probably burnt. So that's, I think... That's not to uh, not to say Burhalter is to blame. That's to say maybe Burhalter tried the three five two, knowing that he had five subs. And hey, if we if I get this horribly wrong, I can throw three guys on at halftime and change the shape, which is what he did. So what's what's interesting though, Kartik, is the stark contrast between the coverage of the U.S. games. It was three games. In last week's podcast, we talked about the the coverage of the uh, El Salvador U.S. game with Clint Dempsey and, and CBS Sports, and that was good. Then we had Sunday, and we had uh, Fox Sports, FS1, had the coverage of the game, um, U.S. against Canada. That one, uh, well, and, and then, of course, Wednesday night was CBS Sports and, and Paramount+. Plus. But the, the game on the Sunday, you mean, the game kicked off, I think, at 8.05 uh, Eastern time. Fox's coverage pregame started at 8 o'clock. 
Uh, and then you have commercials in between. So you had maybe two minutes of pregame coverage from Fox. They had a boxing um, match on that was right before it. Um, and then even before ma- the, the match started, I mean, I mean, this is no surprise, right? But Alexi Lalas, I mean, to me, if you replaced Alexi Lalas with one of the members of the American Outlaws and, and had that American a- uh, AO guy on for about two to three minutes before the game started, you'd hear the same things. It's like Lalas using metaphors like, I mean, we're going to take the bull by its horns. We're going to you mean, show everything we've got. It, it, it was like a, a cheerleader session. There's no analysis, zero analysis. Um, so Fox's coverage, I mean, is substandard. I think everybody knows that within the business. Everybody knows that within uh, the, the viewers. I mean, yes, you have Stu Holden that's good, John Strong that's good, but the studio is just absolutely woeful. Um, and then Wednesday night's coverage, and, and it's it's amazing to contrast the two because with CBS – you had 90 minutes of pregame coverage. I mean, the game started at 10.30. The pregame started at 9 o'clock. And you had Kate Abdo and uh, Gooch and Clint Dempsey and Charlie Davis and Mo Adu and Nico Cantor, as well as I mean, Jenny Chu, etc. 90 minutes of pregame coverage, which was really well done. Um, it's not perfect by any means, but you had Charlie Davis uh, or Davies talking about uh, the car crash that happened in 2009 and how he broke curfew and, and shared his personal story. And you could tell it was very emotional and heartfelt, him sharing what happened to him and then kind of contrasting that and comparing that to what's been happening to uh, Weston McKinney. So really, really well done. Um, again, not perfect by any means, but what a stark contrast. Yeah, and, and I think also their ability to kind of build in other discussions of CONCACAF. Uh, they did, did it both on uh, previous Thursday night and then uh, this uh, this Wednesday, CVS. Uh, obviously, there were earlier kickoffs. Canada was playing El Salvador, right, and, and uh, uh, beat them 3-0 uh, during the pregame show. Same thing, Mexico-Panama had kicked off earlier. Uh, Panama held a 1-0 lead for much of that match, so discussion of that. And uh, Davies he, he has gotten better in each uh, each rep he's gotten with CBS. And uh, Gooch has a, a, a uh, um, Gooch, I think, has says some good things, but doesn't really give you kind of new cutting edge analysis about the specifics. So I went back and watched the post game show after the Thursday match. Now uh, Paramount Plus has all the all of this stuff archived. So you can go back and watch it now. And I watched it several days after. In fact, I watched it after the Canada game. And I felt like Davies of the three was reacting the best to what had actually happened and transpired in the match. Um, And in fact, I think was really um, uh, on point talking about uh, in the pregame for the El Salvador, for the Honduras game, yesterday's match, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, for yesterday's match, talking about the U.S.'s difficulties in defending set pieces, which um, was not uh, the sort of analysis you're getting in other places on Fox or, uh, you're not getting anything on the Fox studio, but uh, not from the other analysts on CBS either. So I like like that. I think both Gooch and uh, Dempsey have a lot of good things to say. Uh, I think that they, uh, though, are kind of in your kind of cookie-cutter analysis, and it'll get better as time goes on. But I've been really impressed by Charlie Davies. And then um, I think there is a different contrast in style between John Strong and Andres Cordero. Uh, 
but both do a good job of setting up their co-commentators. So Holden, uh, I thought, was really good on Sunday, uh, although um, – Again, uh, there, I, maybe he had a, 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 a little bit of a cold or something. His voice sounded a little different than it normally does. But he, I thought he gave some very good analysis. But that's not complemented by what's going on in Fox's studio, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a turnkey production. Whereas um, you get a lot of good analysis from Moadu during the CBS matches. And then there's follow-up on what he said and what he's thinking in the studio. And um, I think that... Um, we're getting very comfortable with CBS broadcasting U.S. games now between the two Nations League matches and now these two qualifiers that um, it's probably going to be necessary for Fox to up their game for the rest of qualifying. We'll get ESPN introduced into the mix in the next uh, next international break, the next set of qualifiers. But, yeah, I, I agree completely, Chris. I think there's a huge contrast between CBS and Fox. And maybe it's a budgetary thing for all we know. That, that could be it. Yeah, but I think even when Fox did have a larger budget, it still was pretty much... I mean, production-wise, it looked uh, more impressive, but it still was the same type of analysis. I mean, uh, the, the the part of the issue is that you have some of the same people. I mean, so you have uh, Moa Du, who works for CBS Sports, and he works for Fox Sports. And when Moe's on CBS Sports, he seems more relaxed. He seems... Um, he see, he seems better, you mean, for, <laughs> which is so weird to say, but he does. I mean, and, and actually, he did a really, really good jo- job in the co-commentary with uh, Drake Cordero, and the two of them work really well together. I think that's um, Cordero is definitely less stats-driven than John Strong is, and the conversation between Drake uh, Cordero and uh, Modu seemed more seemed more natural. I think with with Stu Holden, who I respect a lot, and I think he knows. Uh, has a lot of insight into the game and a lot of experience. Um, sometimes I, th- I think just the two of them, you almost kind of start to when you have to, when it's John Strong and Stu Holden. After a while, you start to kind of just your eyes glaze over because it's just just nonstop talk, 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 talk all the way through the, the whole ninety minutes. For, for me personally, Kartik, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, not these games, but sometimes I actually switch off the <laughs> turn off the commentary and mute it and watch the game. And often I can see different things when it, um, it's muted uh, than I can when the, when the, the the actual volume's up. And when the volume's up, I'm, I'm almost like steered by the commentators to see certain things. But when I mute it, I can see my own things. I can make my, make my own observations that I, I wouldn't necessarily make if I'm actually listening to the commentary because it's almost like your brain's kind of trying to juggle between uh, listening and watching the game at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think... Um there, there is the um, the tendency with me with Fox. I want to hear Stu Holden's um, analysis because I think he he uh, does get critical at times of the U.S. and he does have a lot of insight into the player pool. But sometimes the stats are too much for me from John Strong. And I think that there's a very particularly when you're talking about World Cup qualifying and the dynamic being different every go round. And this time we're, we've got an octagonal that's later, really later in the cycle, kicking off than um, the hex. Uh, for, for example, the U.S. played Honduras in what was a decisive game in 2017, a draw where Bobby Wood salvaged a late point for the U.S. Uh, that was exactly four years ago from yesterday. Yet we're just starting qualifying now. So um, different point in the cycle. So a lot of times I think these stats don't work. Um, in setting in setting things up, maybe they do in, in club football when you have a thirty eight match season or whatever it is in, in whichever league. But in World Cup qualifying in uh, international tournament football, I think it's 
I, I like Drake Cordero's approach better in terms of calling a match than uh, versus John Strong. If, if that's what I'm trying to say, I guess yeah. long, long way. I, I I still would like to hear more from Clint Dempsey. I still think that he is lost sometimes in in kind of. I mean, Charlie Davis is the one that's monopolizing the conversation, and Gooch and and Charlie kind of are back and forth. And then Clint's kind of listening and adding in some comments. But I'd like to see Clint take more of a lead um, rather than Charlie or have Charlie just say, hey, even Charlie, just just tone it down a notch and, and let's have Clint give some uh, analysis. H- having said that, though, too, I mean, both Clint and Oguchi uh, Onueyu uh, are a little bit repetitive. The, the, the things they're talking about are things we've heard for quite a few, a few weeks now, uh, Clint Dempsey talking about um, the schedule, about uh, how when when you have friendlies uh, in away games, like why are we playing these smaller teams when we should be playing some tougher opponents? Um, that we've heard since, I think, the CONCACAF Nations League. So that's something that uh, Clint has been repeating over and over again now for a few months. Same thing with uh, Oguchi Onoeu. I think sometimes his analysis, um, when he's making a, a, some analysis uh, pre-match, he's then using that same analysis at halftime. And it's like, hey, I mean, if anyone who's watching the entire broadcast, you're seeing the same things that he said before the game, let's kind of mix it up a little bit and, and offer some some different analysis or some some different opinions and observations that's going to um, increase increase the the knowledge of the viewer or make them see different points or point out different things that that you haven't already said. Bacotic, <laughs> the international break is over. Uh, if if you don't mind, we're going to skip right through till what to watch this weekend because yeah. while. World Cup qualified. I mean, I, I know you and I talked privately this week, and you've watched a lot of games from around the world, whether it's from UEFA, uh, from the, uh, from Asia, um, etc. As as did I, Ian. But we could spend a whole hour on that, and I, I probably most of the listeners didn't watch a lot of those games. I mean, we're interested. If you're from the US, you're interested in the US game. It, it- yeah, and quite frankly, I watched a lot of games, but I wasn't interested in the game. I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I root for the Republic of Ireland, also. I think a lot of people know that, so I watched those matches with some uh, with some interest. But they were effectively matches I flipped on, uh, other than France Ukraine, which I thought was a great match. I, I didn't see um, anything really that excited me. Yeah, it's just the the level is not the same. And I think the other point, Chris, that you and I talked about privately that we'll share with listeners is um, this three match block of matches uh, throughout World Cup qualifying is really reducing the quality of play. It's already inferior, in my opinion, to most high-end club football, and it's even more difficult to watch because of um, uh, just, just the, 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 rush, the forced matches, which involve a lot of travel. Uh, and, uh, and then, obviously, well, uh, yeah. Well, the, the other thing about it, too, is, is it is a long process, but there's the insurance policy of playoffs, so if you're watching some of the, the teams in the, the UEFA Confederation and watching those World Cup qualif- qualifying games, and you see that your team lost a couple of games this past week, you know that there's the insurance policy of probably being able to make the playoffs and still find a way into the World Cup. So, you mean, so those games are important, but they're not as important as they would have been, say, I don't know, 10 years ago when there were no playoff system. Yeah, and in CONCACAF, the octagonal is incredibly forgiving. So this is why I was even prepared to come on this podcast if the U.S. didn't win last night and say, hey, not a great start, but 
there's a lot of football to play because um, the only confederation where it's really, really uh, unforgiving is uh, is Africa. You can't you can't mess up in the African confederation. I think South America is difficult because everybody, with the exception of Bolivia, well, Bolivia has had some decent results, but um, it, it, it is good. So you don't want to fall too far adrift, but you can make a lake run. We've seen each of the last uh, uh, couple cycles of common ball, somebody who started poorly in qualifying, making a late run and qualifying. So, um, or at least getting to the playoffs. So that's something that um, um, I think also mitigates the, the really kind of the importance of some of these matches for us. So yeah, let's get back to club football. So speaking of club football, this weekend. In terms of our match to watch this weekend, I had a really difficult time picking one because there are so many massive matches to watch for different reasons this weekend. Uh, the three I was trying to pick between were Real Madrid against uh, Salta Vigo. And reason being is that uh, this will be the first game being played at the renovated uh, Santiago Bernabeu Stadium. And it's not completely done. Um, the roof still has to be finished. But this stadium looks, once it's done, which is going to be early January, is going to be world-class, probably one of the best stadiums in the world, no matter what, of what the sport. And, uh, you mean, for most viewers that have been watching Real Madrid or, or La Liga, Real Madrid has been playing at their training ground for, uh, or the reserve ground for the last 12 months. And uh, this game should be interesting. The, the stadium is not going to be completely open uh, due to kind of COVID guidelines and also the stadium still under construction. But the game will be played inside the stadium. So that that's one. That's three o'clock on Sunday on ESPN+. Plus. Then is um, Arsenal-Norwich, which <laughs> this is a must-win, Kartik. Oh, my gosh. 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday on Peacock. This is a massive game for Arsenal fans. Uh, you would think that they have a good opportunity here to really kind of just uh, take off the pressure, show what they're worth. Um, we know that Norwich is a good team, no no pushover by any means. But then you've got, at the same time, Manchester United against Newcastle United, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, the prospect of his uh, second debut for Manchester United, 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday on USA Network. And, and, and to choose between those for many different reasons... I think it has to be has to be Ronaldo and Newcastle. I mean, I, I'm going to be watching all these games anyway. But if I had to pick one, that's that's the the must watch match uh, this weekend for me. What about you, Kartik? Yeah, I'm going in a completely different direction with kind of a tried and tested matchup, which is Liverpool and Leeds Sunday, 11:30 a.m. Uh, that will feature, I think, a Liverpool team. Uh, although uh, they they will be missing potentially some Brazilian players, so that kind of. Uh, um, I, well, it makes it probably, makes it more interesting in some ways. Yeah, it makes it much more interesting, right? I mean, they, they, that's a, a substantial core of the of the Liverpool team. So I guess you'd get Jota starting instead of Firmino, uh, goalkeeper. I uh, is Kelleher their backup uh, goalkeeper now? Uh, of, of, I've lost track. Sure. Right? Yeah, who Liverpool's backup goalkeeper is, and then obviously Fabio, uh, uh, Fabinho would be would be out. Uh, so that would be um, a, uh, a, a a challenge for them. But I like this matchup because last year these two teams played twice. They were both uh, can't-miss television. Oh, yeah. And Bielsa has brought in Dan James, who is a player he wanted several years ago, as you know, Chris, as a Swansea fan, uh, who I think fits 
Bielsa-style uh, football better than the vast majority of players you, co- you see come out of the British Isles. So this will be Dan James' first game with Bielsa, even though Bielsa thought he had signed him two and a half years ago, um, and that deal fell apart. Uh, so I'm really excited to see Dan James in a Leeds shirt. I think um, you're going to see Leeds now um, – begin to step up and, and play the kind of football we got accustomed to seeing them play the last few seasons. There, there was a uh, um, elongated kind of uh, um, rest period this year, which Bielsa normally doesn't give his players, but after the end of last season. So I think they're going to get back to, uh, to, to really good football. So I'm excited about this matchup. Yeah, now that you mentioned Kartik, that game, I remember it now. That was one of the best games of the season. That was uh, Liverpool 4, Leeds United 3. And and the thing about that match was that um, it was early in the season, if I remember correctly. But for a lot lot of uh, viewers who hadn't watched Leeds United that much were just really just overwhelmed by how Leeds United just kept on playing, kept on going for it and, and really doing something that most teams, when they play against Liverpool, uh, don't do, which is like really put, going at them, uh, which is really refreshing to see their attacking style of play. If that game can be half as good as it was last season, that's going to be a must-watch match. Can't yeah, it- and I think it just in general, there's a uh, in terms of fans of English football, there's a reverence now for Bielsa, which uh, he has in South America, but he never really quite achieved in, in the other club stops he had in Europe, right? There were more uh, questions about his methods after he left Bilbao and after he left Marseille, but uh, there's, a, there's a real um, aura around Bielsa now in English football. So um, I think Leeds are a team that neutrals want to watch in general. Yeah, definitely. And uh, having said that, too, I mean, they, they've got to be really focused, Leeds United, on, on this season in terms of uh, making sure they stay up because there's, there's always yeah. that risk because they play such uh, attacking football at times. They leave themselves open at the back. And um, I mean, we've, see, we've seen that they can get, be on the, on the receiving end of, of a thrashing now and again. So speaking of being on the uh, receiving end of a thrashing, FIFA, Kartik, move on to TV streaming news. <laughs> FIFA <laughs> has been, um, I mean, a lot of fans have been against FIFA for a long time, but especially now with their push, massive push, to try to get the World Cup scheduled every two years instead of every four years. And this is an idea that was uh, proposed by Arsene Wenger, and has uh, been given the support of a lot of FIFA legends. So Peter Schmeichel, who works for CBS Sports, uh, Ronaldo, you, mean, you go down the list, a lot of legends have come out in support of this idea. What's your take on it? I mean, should it be something that, that all fans reject? Or, or are there any posit- positive things about this, this plan for every two years playing a World Cup? Uh, it's not positive because you, you get – you. you diminish the value or maybe even eliminate the value of confederation uh uh titles and and i have to say to me copa america and the euros are about as big as the world cup they're not quite the the global spectacle maybe but um the the importance and the value that individual nations put on that competition is as, as great the value that Argentina puts on winning the Copa is as great as the World Cup. The value that England, well, we saw it this summer, right? England put as much value in a Euro as, as they do in a World Cup. So that's a negative. We're going to have nonstop qualifying. Um, this, this three matches in a, in a match in an international window is ridiculous. It's horrible for player safety and player health and guys flying all over the world, um, not getting any rest. 
you're going to further condense the club football season. Now, I know Wenger had said something about having blocks of matches. So you would have blocks of internationals and then um, a, a elongated period without a break in club football. Now, I like that idea in general, but not with a World Cup every two years. I think that's something FIFA needs to look at anyway. Maybe complete a club football season and then have a block of qualifiers in what would be uh, the, uh, the the period between seasons uh, in Europe and um some sort of break in South America. That would be what I would do. But no, this uh, this is a non-starter. I, I, I um, don't think anyone has really, in terms of fans and media, come out in favor of this idea. Uh, there are um, – it, 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 there just seems to be um, – incredible hurdles to this but the problem chris and i think you and i discussed this privately is fifa would normally be the body that comes in and arbitrates a dispute like this if there's a dispute between clubs and the international game there's a dispute between a governing body and uh, uh, a a league instead now you've got actually the governing body of governing bodies pushing the idea and that then means the only way to fight this might be to have to go to the court of arbitration on sport or some sort of third third party outside of football to uh, prevent this from happening if they really dig in and force it. Yeah, you have to wonder if um, if FIFA keeps keeps up with these types of uh, ideas, which is, I mean, they, they've in the last twelve months they've they've talked about having their own super league. They've talked about having a uh, African Super League. They've talked about having the World Cup every two years. They talked about a lot of ideas that are really not a governing body. It, this is more of a, a corporation that's focused on generating revenue uh, for themselves and, and increasing the riches um, of their executives. To me, at the end of the day, this whole thing, this whole idea is based on on producing money on on cash so fifa every every four years that they have a a men's world cup uh fifa the corporation or the the entity makes i mean a, a massive amounts of money in the years that they don't have a uh men's world cup they lose money so this is their idea of okay let's let's go ahead and have it every two years because then we can pr keep on bringing the money in uh and then using that money to spend on who knows what so that's one thing. The, the second thing of it is that um, it devalues the World Cup. I mean, the, the, the whole thing about the Olympics is, I mean, this Olympics uh, this past summer was not the greatest by any means for uh, mostly COVID reasons. But the Olympics is every four years. If you had the Olympics every two years, it doesn't seem as, as special or as, as uh, much of an achievement to win a gold medal in whatever um, actually category it is. Same thing with the World Cup. If you've got every two years, yeah, it's, I think FIFA knows that most soccer fans will watch it. That's the issue. But, but the bigger thing is, is that in terms of you have a, a World Cup every two years, imagine the TV revenue. So, yes, you have it every four years, and you have Fox all the way through to 2026. But imagine if you had one in 2028 and 2030, how that would change things. So maybe in 2028, you have you know, uh, ESPN, and in 2030, it's CBS Sports, and so on and so forth. There's enough corporations out there that are willing to pay big bucks for a World Cup, and that's just the United States. You look at that globally. So FIFA is looking at this as a huge opportunity to increase the revenue. And, but so for soccer fans, uh, it devalues everything. And for the players uh, who are already exhausted, who are already, it seems to be, you mean, you mean there's no break. There's no break, really. 
um, it's just nonstop. And um, yeah, it's just a shame that uh, FIFA, I mean, and, and Arsene Wenger and a lot of these player legends are supporting this idea because I think it's just absolutely disgusting. Couple more things, uh, Kartik, on the news section. So, B in Sports has been added to YouTube TV. YouTube TV is great. It's got a great interface. Uh, one of the things that with YouTube TV, uh, one of the reasons we haven't recommended it that highly um, for soccer fans is because it didn't have B in Sports. It's the same price as Fubo TV. It's sixty four ninety nine a month, and now YouTube TV has B in Sports. But there's, there's there's a few issues with that. One. It's just BN Sports and BN Sports Extra. So you don't get BN Sports and Espanol. Maybe a big deal for some, not so much of a big deal for others. But the biggest deal is, is that not only is YouTube TV $64.99, but if you want to get uh, add on the, the sports package, which includes BN Sports and BN Sports Extra, it's $11 a month. So now you're taking, you mean, now you're paying $75 a month uh, to get the BN Sports channel on top of YouTube TV. While Fubo TV has sixty four ninety nine, includes BN Sports, BN Sports en Espanol, all of the BN Sports Connect channels, BN Sports Extra, BN Sports Extra en Espanol. So to me, it's really good news if you're if you're a YouTube TV subscriber and you don't mind paying extra. But for most soccer fans, I think it's still uh, cost prohibitive. Now, something that's not cost prohibitive is the Ultimate Soccer TV and Streaming Guide, the 2021-22 edition. Uh, we just launched it this 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 week. It's free, completely free. You can download it from uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, it's a brand new edition, uh, updated for this season, and it has all of the major leagues, uh, and actually a lot of the minor leagues too, of soccer and cup competitions and uh, different confederations where to watch the games and it's it's a really helpful guide if you get a chance check it out worldsoccertalk.com Kartik listener mailbag Dave says listening to this podcast is an enjoy is a, a, a enjoyable part of my week I appreciate you're covering many aspects of the sport and its US broadcasting a few thoughts number one insightful comments on the Premier League Big Five as SEC P5 and the evolving balance of power. Number two, great numbers on Univision for MLS League MX All-Star Game. No doubt many factors drive this, but I agree promotion is big. Univision frequently advertises upcoming matches on the Tuduene family. I suspect Liga MX uh, viewers tended to know the date, time, and channel of that game. Number three, thanks for your recommendation on Fubo Latino. Their economable coverage is good so far, and the channels are a nice complement to my pre-existing bundle. Looking forward to catching a few extra Liga Mekis games on Tuduene and Fox Deportes after the international break. And then number four, good to hear the update on the W um, the Women's Super League, WSL, and ATA football. I enjoy NWSL and Paramount Plus. has been a breath of fresh air uh, for following the league. I hope ATA football succeed in achieving the same for the WSL. Kartik, what was your thoughts about um, some of the uh, WSL coverage you saw uh, last week? Yeah, the Arsenal-Chelsea match was a, was a phenomenal match. Uh, Watched also Everton and Man City, which was a one-sided match. The coverage, I think, is very good. British commentary is becoming much more, um, uh, much more comfortable, uh, particularly Jonathan Pierce, who's the lead voice on uh, WSL. They wait, call wait, wait, the wait. matches comfortable. How, how do you mean comfortable? 
I, I think that there's a, a growing knowledge of, of women's football and that some of the audience might be different than the people okay. who typically watch Premier League matches or watch uh, matches, uh, months matches from the continent. So I, I've seen a little bit of shift in the commentary style, not nothing dramatic, uh, but that that to me uh, is a league that is really worth watching because the commentary is good. The production's good. Active football is doing a phenomenal job. And uh, I think the level of play, which uh, uh, some people in the U.S. NWSL fans claim is not as high as uh, it is in NWSL, is, uh, is in fact, from a technical standpoint, I think higher. And um, I know that there's less interest this season since there all, so many American players that have come back to NWSL. Uh, Abby Dahlkamper being the latest, right, just uh, a week ago, two weeks ago. But um, it's still very much worth watching, and I enjoyed this weekend uh, of, of WSL, the opening weekend, as I did NWSL. Uh, CBS Network had a game, Houston and uh, and uh, uh, Orlando on Sunday. So um, women's football is becoming um, – it's interesting we mentioned this because I think it's becoming a way for me to get through international breaks, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, I, I see more focused on women's club football because they don't break at the same time uh, every international break. And I know even though I'm touting the NWSL and WSL now, I probably won't pay that close attention to it again for another four weeks when we have the next international break. Rich says, uh, you spoke on the last show about why there was a major difference in the ratings for the MLS All-Star game between Fox and Univision. An example I find is that um, there are English first speaking viewers who constantly complain about whoever is the American voice doing the commentary on Fox or ESPN and say they switch to another channel to watch the match and to not listen to them. This is sabotaging the rating and honestly smacks of Euro snobbery. So I think I think Rich, uh, just because somebody doesn't like the commentator for a game, so whether it's a I don't know John Champion doing an MLS game or if it's uh, John Strong doing a Fox game, uh, doesn't mean it's Euro snobbery. It just means that their personal preferences they may not like that style. I mean the, the same thing happens to me sometimes. I mean it doesn't matter who the commentator is. Sometimes for whatever reason I might not be that interested in listening to that commentator and I might switch the channel to watch uh, the same game on a different channel um, just just for, just for sometimes variety um, I did that a couple of weeks ago I think it was the, the Chelsea-Liverpool game and I think Fubo had a 4K stream of that game um, and that was so I wanted to look at the 4K channel and it had a different commentary team than the game that was on NBC or NBCSN just for a variety, just mix things up. I, I don't think it's uh, Euro snobbery. Chris says, um, when it comes to this summer's transfer window, I fully agree with Kartik that the balance of power in European football has shifted to the Premier League, and the signings reflect that, especially Ronaldo. Unless clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, and others, with the exception of PSG, receive a major influx in cash in the next few years, I fully expect them to be selling clubs and offloading expensive contracts to save money. As for MLS's future with Fox, I think Fox has stopped caring about putting out a quality broadcast. The All-Star Game rating was an uh, unfortunate re uh, reflection of that. In their view, MLS is seen only as a way of promoting their coverage of the next, and especially 2026 World Cup, even though the rights for MLS are going to be delinked with the U.S. national teams. 
for MLS to improve their TV ratings, they need to end their partnership with Fox and perhaps ESPN after 2022 and go to a broadcaster or streaming service that will actively promote and treat the league with respect instead of viewing it as a just another property. And and I think there's 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 something to that, Kartik, about um, I think TV broadcasters getting complacent with the you know, the leagues that they have in in their arsenal. And I think I mean with the Bundesliga, I mean the Bundesliga I think has uh, taken on a whole uh, kind of a, a breath of fresh air, a new life under ESPN. Um, La Liga has got uh, kind of a, a same type of uh, a breath of fresh air, a new life under ESPN too. And uh, when you have a a, uh, you mean a league for several years, you get complacent. You may not try as hard because it's just you mean the same thing that you always have uh, until it's gone. Next up is Mike. Mike says, regarding the question last week about uh, why uh, Bundesliga 2 games aren't on ESPN+, Plus, I have a similar question on why La Liga Smart Bank matches aren't on ESPN+. Plus. You mentioned that ESPN won't broadcast certain Bundesliga 2 matches because they don't have commentators for the feed they receive. However, this is not the case for the La Liga Smart Bank matches. Many of these matches have a world feed with English-speaking commentators. In fact, in past seasons, it was customary for these matches to be uh, to, to appear on La Liga TV during international breaks. So what gives? So, Mike, I, I took a look at this uh, for this weekend. Um, there is one game uh, from the, the second division, the uh, Segunda division of La Liga, and that's on ESPN Plus on uh, Sunday. And I think it's... Um, I think it's Valladolid against uh, Tenerife, but one game, which I know in previous seasons there have been more. There have been a lot more games than one game on a weekend. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. I mean, maybe it has to be, I don't know. I don't know. What what do you think, Carter? Do you have any ideas on that one? I don't, but they had done a lot to promote the um the La Liga TV coverage of the Segunda. So that 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 in, in previous years. So that surprises me. I, I don't know, uh maybe that's something that will be worked into uh ESPN plus as uh, uh they, they they had limited time, right? They got the rights in May and they didn't have the traditional year or six months of knowing they had the rights to ramp up. So maybe we'll see that come in as this season wears on. Next up is Raymond. He says, I think we have to question the the decisions made by the U.S. Soccer Federation. The fact is, we knew four years ago we were going into the World Cup qualification with a very young group of Americans and that these executives, in my opinion, have not made the right choice. The fact is, it took a whole year to get Berhalter into the coaching position, even though as a coach, he has no managerial experience in World Cup qualification. And this was something that came up in the uh, the pre-match coverage of uh, the uh, Honduras-US game on Paramount+. Plus, and, and that was kind of a discussion about there's, there's very few uh, older, more veteran players in this squad. I mean, they were looking at uh, Tim Ream and John Brooks. And they were saying, like, you I mean, if uh, Weston or Gio Reyna or any of these guys that are a little bit younger... Uh, want to look up to somebody within that squad who is more of a veteran, who's been through these things time after time, there isn't really anyone there. Um, that, so there is that gulf uh, in ages where 
you would hope that there would be some more senior players still on the team to, just to provide some of that uh, experience and wealth, wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, and I think that uh, we've we've it, not necessarily on this show, but on other programs I've been on, uh, have litigated to death the U.S.'s uh, uh, indecision and, and, and slowness in, in getting Berhalter in the job, and uh, it was horrible. But it is what it is, right? We're three years past that now, and, and just have to deal with the consequences of it. And last but not least, uh, Carl says it seems inevitable that the non the non-Disney services are going to have to collaborate in some fashion to be to, to better compete with the Disney bundle of Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus, and then Star outside the U.S. that is gaining a major foothold globally. Viacom, CBS, and Comcast Sky are partnering in, in a variety of ways in Europe, and it makes me wonder if we could see a potential Paramount Plus slash Peacock partnership for a split of Premier League rights that would see something like a $9 a month bundle for the two services while both companies would be would only be taking on half the cost of the rights, which is likely going to be about uh, $300 million a year. That's a fantastic idea, Kartik. Do you think that, yeah. that, that could be a possibility here? Yeah, Hot Star is another element. Thank you for mentioning that, Carl. Hot Star is actually uh, going to be folded into uh, ESPN Plus. Uh, and Hulu in the U.S., but remains a Disney streaming service. Now, that was a Fox streaming service that, um, particularly in India, was really strong, that then got acquired as part of the asset sale a few years ago uh, from 21st Century Fox to to Disney. Uh, That's another element, and they've got a lot of programming now, uh, non-soccer, but uh, rights in the U.S., but things that are going to get folded into, um, including the Indian Premier League uh, of cricket, folded into ESPN Plus and and, uh, uh, Bollywood movies that'll get folded into Hulu, which are going to be a a pretty big deal, uh, which makes Disney even more powerful. Um, I think that this is a possibility. Keep in mind, I I don't know um, how much this affects things, but Universal or or Comcast, it would be now, NBC Universal slash Comcast, are still a silent partner that owns a third of Hulu. So I don't know if they withdraw their investment. Uh, Disney buys them out completely at some point, and then that a lot gives them the capital to maybe invest more in in Peacock and um, and build these partnerships with, with Viacom on, on Paramount Plus Peacock partnership, etc. But I do think we're going to see this. I think Carl's onto something. We saw in the U.S. a form of it in cable sports rights when um, Fox and ESPN, so Disney and Fox were. Uh, uh, ganging up against uh, Comcast after Comcast bought NBC Universal because the thinking at that point, remember, Chris, and it was right when FS1 and FS2 launched. It was right when the Premier League rights switched to um, to NBC that um, the combination of NBC Universal and Comcast and their uh, bandwidth on cable was going to be this behemoth that was impossible to to fight against uh, individually. Then the paradigm shifted from cable to streaming, and Disney gained an advantage. But uh, let's not forget, eight years ago, eight, eight, nine years ago, all the talk was everyone's going to gang up against Comcast. And they began to put those elements in place, and then cable became less important. So I see this as a real possibility. And I do think the two that Carl mentions, uh, Viacom... And uh, Comcast, uh, Paramount Plus and Peacock would be the two that would probably uh, content share and team up against um, Disney. Yeah, and it would be something like you'd you'd pay $9 and you'd have access to both of those services. Both of those would still be separate. Uh, Paramount 
Plus with all its quirks and Peacock with all its quirks in terms of how they operate. I mean, the streaming services, I mean, are not perfect by any means to try to compete against ESPN Plus. And the... But Peacock is the weak link in this one in some ways. So if Peacock loses the Premier League rights, then there's less of, you mean, kind of an incentive for them for Paramount Plus and Peacock to partner up. Um, but say if CBS, Viacom, Viacom CBS and NBC Universal said, let's work together on trying to get the Premier League uh, rights because they're going to be more expensive than ever. Um, and maybe there's a way here that Paramount Plus can, by partnering with Peacock, can increase the number of subscribers on both sides to battle against ESPN Plus. Because ESPN Plus, at this point, is kind of the really, I mean, you have to have that streaming service in order to be a soccer fan in many ways. If you don't have ESPN Plus, you're missing out on a ton of coverage from around the world. Uh, with Peacock, you're missing out on a ton of coverage of the Premier League. On Paramount Plus, you're missing out on a ton of coverage of the Champions League, as well as Serie A, etc. But ideally, I mean, it, it does make a lot of sense to bundle it together uh, for the consumer, for the, the actual soccer fan, to pay nine bucks and get both of them versus. Uh, what seven bucks for uh, ESPN Plus? I mean, so it makes a lot of sense in many, many ways. In, in terms of entertainment options too, because I um, look, I, I think everything that I need to watch from an entertainment standpoint, I get via HBO Max. Um, Netflix, I don't really use, but I know a lot of people do. Uh, Amazon Prime and the Disney Bundle. So again, that leaves Paramount and Universal, or Paramount and and uh, and, and Peacock out in the lurch because anything. I, and now I, I think as these these contracts are redone, they may you may see more Paramount movies and Universal movies pulled from Amazon and from HBO Max, etc. But at the as of now, I don't have any real use on an entertainment. Uh, point of view for those streaming services it's just for the football it's just for the soccer i'm getting them because anything i want to watch movie wise or show wise i can get via hulu or hbo max or or amazon prime so um i think they have an uphill struggle and um the other thing about um this is that paramount cbs has consolidated everything within the paramount plus uh service now NBC still has this piecemeal thing where they have um, NBC News now, they have Weather Plus, they have all of these different kind of uh, news streaming services that are out there. Well, I guess CBS does too, right, with Sports HQ and with uh, CBS News, the streaming service. Mm -hmm. But they have all these kind of piecemeal streaming services out there um, that it, it may make sense for them to consolidate it in one um, but those are free services, right? So it's difficult to consolidate those in a pay streaming service. Um, whatever the case, they're well behind Disney, and, and they need to do something, both of them. Yeah, and, and like Carl mentions too, is that uh, this could be a possibility because Viacom, CBS, uh, so Paramount Plus and, and Peacock are already partnering in Europe to launch a, a, a service there. Uh, that's going to be, you I mean, it hasn't been launched yet, I don't believe, but that, so they're working together already in Europe to partner up. So in the United States, I wouldn't be surprised if there's been conversations that they've talked about, well, what does it mean for the US? Does it make any sense at all to partner up, to go in together? I, I guess, I guess the question is though, Kartik, for the Premier League is if ESPN Plus gambled and spent the $1.4 billion on La Liga, 
does that make them out of the running for the Premier League? Are they not, not even going to put a bid in? Uh, and if so, Paramount Plus and Peacock, uh, maybe they're, they're actually competing against each other for the yeah. rights to the Premier League. So rather than compete against each other for the rights to the Premier League, and, and then the bidding war escalates, and Paramount Plus or Peacock ends up paying heck of a lot more money than, than than they started off at the bidding at they might say this partner together it's going up with a, a joint bid and that way if we do get into a bidding war it's us against who else i mean is it is it discovery plus is it amazon prime uh is it apple tv plus um you mean the number of competitors is a lot fewer so it makes a lot of sense for them to definitely discuss it and I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it depends on Comcast, really, because Comcast has the rights right now. Uh, there's an opportunity for them to renew those rights if the Premier League can agree to a deal. <sighs> yeah, excellent question, Carl. Hey, you got uh, uh, listener mailbag uh, feedback of the week there, Carl. Great, great job. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, we've got a uh, podcast uh, thread in the navigation, and you can just go ahead and post your comments there. And don't forget to check out worldsoccertalk.com for that uh, free ebook, which is the ultimate uh, soccer TV streaming and, uh, guide that's available for free. So, Kartik, in closing, um, where can they find you on Twitter uh, this uh, this week if they want to kind of uh, hear you or read you t- tweeting about how wonderful Leeds United and Dan James are, as one example? Yeah, so you can follow. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at KKFLA737. My DMs are open, so feel free to uh, DM me there. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate that. And Kartik, heading into another weekend, international uh, break is over, uh, club football has returned. What are you going to be doing and what should listeners do? Enjoy your football.